You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Boy, oh boy, it's like a full room. Like, so many of you are here today. Yeah, come on, give yourselves a hand. Like, we even put out more chairs during the week. I thought, it's getting a bit full, let's put out, we'll, we'll try and fit some more chairs in. Hello over there, you guys are a new section. This section over here, uh, new section over there, making history. Uh, amazing, so good to be back in church. Isn't it great to be in the house of God today? Hey, I wanna do one thing before we um, get into the message, before I jump into what I wanna um, speak about today, but I, I actually just wanted to take a moment in all that's happened over the last sort of week, since last Sunday when we were in here together, um, our nation has been through something um, quite um, uh, devastating. And I know that for us in Auckland, we've had a number of things that are going on, and, and I'm not sure where people are watching from online uh, today. You may be directly affected by it. And, uh, but I, I know that many of us probably have watched the news and sat there and felt utterly helpless like, this is just unbelievable. We can't even wrap our minds around what is going on, and it's still unfolding. It's still very much a very real and happening thing. And I was actually reminded today um, of a passage of Scripture in um, Lamentations, uh, Lamentations 3. Uh, and in Lamentations chapter 3, it, it talks about, um, that the author talks about how, he says, I've been deprived of, of peace I've forgotten what prosperity is. Uh, my future looks lost, and, and my, my hope feels lost. He talks about remembering his affliction and homelessness and, and continually remembering this place of feeling hopeless and depressed. And, and for many of us, it's probably actually what we feel like in this season. And yet, in, in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Yet I call this to mind. And therefore I have hope because of the Lord's faithful love. We do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. And I just wanted to speak that over every person in this room, but every person watching as well, and every person in our nation that's been displaced out of their homes or knows someone who has, is suffering right now. As a church, here's what we can do. We can declare that our hope is in the Lord, amen? That he is a faithful, good God. And as we can do many practical things to help, we can give money, we can give items. One thing that as Christians is the, the, the very thing that we can do that no one else does, and that is pray. We can pray. We can pray and believe. So right now, I'm just going to invite you. Would you join me in standing to your feet? And, uh, and I would just love for us to pray the hope of God over our nation right now, specifically those areas that are very directly affected by this. Would you just join me in, in believing that God will bring hope, that he will be a very tangible presence, Lord? Father, we just pray right now. We thank you for these scriptures that remind us that we can put our hope in you. And Lord, we say, as the author of Lamentations has said, therefore we hope in you. We have 
hope, Lord, because you are faithful. Your love is faithful, God. Your mercies never end, O Lord. And Father, every new morning is a new day. We can see hope rise, Father God. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, you are our portion. Therefore, we hope in you. God, I pray for every affected person. I pray that they would find hope in you. Lord Jesus, I pray that the message of your love, your faithfulness would just find their, its home with them, oh God. Lord Jesus, we just pray for everyone suffering right now. Lord, I pray for every emergency service worker. I pray that you would give them strength, oh God. May your peace be over every person. Father, I pray for those of us who are watching on. God, would you give us this desire to pray and Lord, this, this, great, um, this great desire to speak hope and believe hope. Father, show us what we can do to help, Lord God. Show us how we can be a community and a nation that gathers around each other, helping one another through. Lord, we just place this situation all into your hands, Father God, and we say thank you that you are still good. You are still faithful, and we choose to put our hope in you, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, why don't you give God some praise? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Emily. All right, grab a seat there. Kia ora koutou. It is so good to have you this morning. Online, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So great to have everybody who's joining us from online. Steve sends his greetings. He says hello. He has flown into Whangarei. He's actually on a plane right now, flying into Whangarei to share a message with our Whangarei campus today. So he says hello, and they're going to have a great morning up there. I'm believing it. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to uh, bring a message to you today. And I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say, "There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us." There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. All right, Jonah, chapter one. The Lord gave this message to Jonah. Uh, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He brought a ticket and went aboard, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So our story opens. We're looking at the story of Jonah today, and, and the, the story begins with God addressing Jonah and commissioning him to go and preach against the evil injustice in Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, but more importantly, and more importantly to Jonah, we need to remember and know that, that Nineveh is Israel's bitter enemy. Nineveh is Israel's enemy, is Jonah's enemy. And instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah goes in the opposite direction, as far west as he can go, by jumping on a ship going to Tarshish. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up, 
Pray to your God. May, maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. The story goes on to tell us that jo they asked Jonah to explain himself and he spouts off a whole bunch of religious mumbo jumbo and when the sailors asked him what they should do, he says, you should throw me overboard. If you throw me overboard, I guarantee you the storm will stop. I think he was hoping that in being thrown overboard, he would die. I mean, what better way to avoid going to Nineveh uh, than, to, than to be thrown overboard, right? In verse 15, it says, Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. It's here in this giant fishy submarine that we see that Jonah prays. And he prays a prayer, and, and in this prayer, he promises that he's going to obey God and that I'll go wherever you send me, Lord. Like there's no, no strings attached to this promise. No matter what, I'll obey you, says Jonah. And so God responds by having this giant fish vomit Jonah up onto dry land. And once again, God commissions Jonah. He gives him the same instruction that he gave him at the beginning in chapter one to go to Nineveh and to preach the good news to these evil people. And this time Jonah complies. He is one day into his new preaching circuit and this is the message he preaches. 40 more days and Nineveh shall be overturned or destroyed. Full stop, that's it. That's, that's the message. I mean, if you, imagine if you turned up to church today and I got up here and I preached eight words and then said, that's it, or we can all go home now. I mean, Anyone would think that Jonah was purposely trying to sabotage this mission. It was a very short and very odd sermon, don't you think? I mean, it, there was a lot missing. He left a lot out. There was a lot of detail he didn't include. There was no mention of Nineveh's sin and where they had gone wrong. There was no mention of what they could do to make it right. Like, there's no mention of what their response could be. There's no mention of repentance. And more importantly, there's no mention of God in this sermon. This is one sermon that has no mention of God, no mention of his grace, no mention of who God is or what he wants to do. But this is a lackluster half-pie sermon. If this was preached by one of our team, I probably wouldn't ask him to preach again. Like, there was just no effort put in on Jonah's part here. It would seem that he has intentionally left out detail. He was intentionally giving them the bare minimum. Now, whatever his motives are, his plan doesn't work, because no sooner had he uttered his eight-word semi-sermon that the king of Nineveh, the entire city, including all the cows, might I add, repented in sorrow and ashes, God forgives the Ninevites and he doesn't bring destruction on them as he said he would. Now, the big question we have to ask ourselves is why did Jonah run in the first place? Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh and bring the message that God was asking him to bring to the people of Nineveh? Was he scared? Probably. I mean, the way that Nineveh is kind of described, they're not the kind of people that you would want to drop in and have a cup of tea on and, and unannounced, unexpectedly, you know? Like, I think, yeah, he probably was a bit scared. I would have been scared. I mean, I've heard that message preached. I've preached that message about Jonah's running in fear. 
Was he running from the call of God? We've heard that one before, haven't we? Perhaps he's insecure. Perhaps he doesn't think he can do it. Maybe he's trying to hide from God for some other reason. I'm not sure. Maybe he just doesn't like Nineveh as a city. Maybe it's just not got nice views, or I'm not sure. But up until now, it doesn't actually say in Jonah why. It doesn't reveal the reason as to why Jonah doesn't want to go. But the final chapter brings it all together for us. Nineveh has repented. God has not destroyed them. He has shown forgiveness. And in chapter four, we read that Jonah was not full of relief for them. He was not happy about their repentance. He was not full of joy about their turning from their bad ways to the Lord as we think he probably should be. He wasn't celebrating. There was no, you know, like we clap and cheer when someone turns their life, don't we, here. But instead, Jonah is fuming mad. Like he's real angry about the fact that God has forgiven them. And he prays his second prayer in Jonah 4. It says he complained to the Lord about it. He said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted or prophesied will not happen. Some of you are thinking that's a little dramatic, Jonah. Come on. And in God's response to Jonah's outrage, he uses an illustration, strange illustration of a dying vine or plant to ask Jonah this. He says, because Jonah was annoyed about the dying plant too, like he's still angry. It says, if you cared so much about a dying plant, surely... Surely it's okay for me, God, to care about my people in Nineveh. And finally, we hear why Jonah ran in the first place. Jonah was a reluctant participant in a plan that would see his enemies receive God's mercy. It was not because he was afraid, although I'm sure that was in there, and it wasn't because he was running from the call of God, although, yes, it turns out he really was. But rather, it was because he knew that God was so merciful that he would forgive the very people that Jonah did not think deserved forgiveness. And today, I want us to consider the idea that maybe the lesson we are to take from the book of Jonah is less about not running from the call of God it's less about a second chance for Jonah. It's less about, you know, giving, being given a second chance to follow God's purposes and more about what it means to love the unlovely, about what it means to love our enemies, about what it means to share God's grace with those we don't think deserve it. As I look at Jonah in this new light, I'm reminded of a few things, and here's one of them. The first thing I want to remind us of today is this. Grace is for everyone, including Nineveh. Grace is for everyone. I had baked some cookies once. I don't do it often, so it's an event, right? I'm not a baker, but I had baked some cookies. I think our oldest Judah was about five at the time. 
and I'd bake some cookies and he had had one and then it was nearing dinner time. So when he asked me for a second one, I said, no, absolutely not, it's nearly dinner time. And then it was probably not long after that and he came out to me and he confessed. He looked very sort of sad and glum and he made a confession to me. Mummy, I need to let you know something. And I'm like, gosh, this looks serious. He says, I had a second cookie. Even though you told me I wasn't allowed. So I said, oh goodness, that is very serious. And I sent him off to his room, you know, for some time out. And after 10 minutes in time out, he came to me with his hand filled with something. And on the dining room table, he dumps down all of his pocket money, all $3.20 of it. And he says, I don't deserve this. I'm too bad. I don't deserve this. I'm too bad. This is how many of us view God's forgiveness and grace. We think what I've done is too bad. I'm too bad. God might be able to forgive them, but I'm too far gone. What I have done is too big. Let me, in on, let, me let you in on something today. You are right. You don't deserve it. But newsflash, none of us do. None of us do. In fact, that's the entire point of mercy and grace. If you did deserve it, it would not be mercy and it would not be grace. By very definition, mercy is not receiving what we do deserve, death, punishment, debt, and grace is receiving what we is receiving what we don't deserve, forgiveness, pardon, debt paid. Many of us live our whole lives not fully buying into this message of grace because we have missed the point of what it actually is. Grace is for everyone. It's for the one who doesn't deserve it. It's literally what it was created for. It's for the one who feels too far gone. It's for the one who has made mistakes, yes, the really big mistakes. It's for the one that has hurt people. Yes, it's for the one that's hurt you. Grace is for everyone, even Nineveh, even Jonah's enemies, even our enemies. But this also gives us hope for the ones that you've been praying for, or maybe even the ones that you've given up praying for. That person who you feel is so far gone, so far from God, you think that person, they could, I, I just cannot imagine them ever coming to the Lord. You struggle to see them, how they could ever come to know God. Can I tell you that God's grace is for them too? God's grace is for them too. We can trust. We can trust that His grace is big enough. It's big enough. And maybe it's just a matter of time before God sends them a Jonah too. I can remember in my first year of uni, bumping into an old school friend. Now, the last time I had seen this guy, he had been suspended for breaking um, a first aid CPR mannequin by doing a stone cold stunner, which is a wrestling move, and breaking off the head of this mannequin, and he'd been suspended. Like, this guy was wayward. He was a rebel, and I can remember him always making fun of me for being the Christian girl, um, the, you know, the good Christian in my class. So you can imagine my amazement when I learn in university days that he had met Jesus and become a Christian. I was like in shock. You can imagine I was in disbelief 
when about 10 years following that, I discover he's become a pastor here in East Auckland. I couldn't believe it. I think I even said out loud of all the people, I thought, I never would have imagined you would come to know God, let alone do what you're doing today. In fact, some of you are sitting here today in church and you would say you were the last person that you could ever think you would ever expect to be sitting in church and yet here you are. But by the grace of God, grace is for everyone, even me, even you, and yes, even them. For some of you, you needed that reminder for yourself. For others of you, you needed that reminder for somebody else. Grace is for everyone. Second thing is this. We are called to love the people God loves, not just the people I like. Ooh. See, I'm called to a life of loving Nineveh. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 15. I need to speed up. A parable of the lost lamb. He tells of a shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to bring back one lost sheep. Now, if you're anything like me, you think this parable mm -mm, does not make sense, carries absolutely no logic. Why would you leave 99 good little sheep? Why would you leave them without a shepherd to go off and find the one that's wandered off? I mean, isn't there a chance that by the time you get back, five more sheep might have wandered off and now you've lost more and now they've become lost. My rule following task-oriented, logical brain says, nah, doesn't make any sense. Just cut your losses, continue to watch over what you have. Don't risk the 99 for that naughty one who wasn't listening and wasn't doing what they were told. A few years ago, we moved into a different suburb. And in this different suburb, they had a different way of collecting the rubbish. You had to have an orange tag that you bought, you purchased at the supermarket, and you put onto your rubbish bin. And on this tag, there were some very clear and specific instructions on the tag. Uh, the instructions were not just written instructions, but they were drawn instructions. There was a little picture of exactly where and what side you should put your little tag on. And it was very clear, I noticed, that the tag was located on the left side of the bin. And I came home one day to see the bins out and the tag on the right side. My anti-rule-following husband had incorrectly labelled the bin. I looked at it for a while, and I really tried. I tried my absolute best to leave it where it was. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I had to rip that tag off and write a new one and put a new one on the right side of the bin. See, here's what has happened, what's gone on in my thinking as I have grown. I have lived my life believing that rules are there for a reason, and if you don't follow them, bad things will happen. So just follow the rules, and life will go well for you. So you can see how I struggle with this parable. You can see how I'm thinking the 99 have done what is right. They are following all the rules. Why should they sit around with no shepherd while that silly sheep gallivants around the countryside and then we all know he doesn't even have to carry himself back home because that shepherd will throw him over his shoulder and carry him back home too. It doesn't make sense. Jesus tells another parable about the lost son, a son who takes an early inheritance payout and goes off and squanders it with wild living all before coming back with his tail between his legs. 
only to be welcomed home with open arms, a robe, a ring, and a big party. Meanwhile, his older brother, working diligently in the fields, hears the party music in Luke 15, and it says this, it says he became angry and didn't want to go in, this is the brother. So his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when your son, the son of yours has come, come, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughter the fat and calf for him. And I often wonder when I read this parable, if more of us can actually relate to the older brother in this story than we can the younger brother. I know I can. Let's just go back to Jonah for a minute. Here's what I want to propose to you today. The book of Jonah is not a message about running from the call of God, although it's in there. It's, it's not a book about how Jonah gets a second chance to follow God's purpose, although that's in there. The purpose of the book of Jonah is not to encourage those who are running to stop running from the call of God. The book of Jonah is, in fact, trying to mess with us trying to mess with our thinking. The book of Jonah is asking us, are you okay with the fact that God wants to love and forgive and show mercy to those who have perhaps become our enemy? To those who might not think they de- that we might not think deserve it. It is a book that challenges us to love the unlovable, to love our enemy, to show grace to those we don't think should know the mercy of God. Could it be that the book of Jonah is in fact holding up a mirror to all of us, suggesting that maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us? Just as the band come and join me now, I did some research into sheep farming. I looked up Sheep 101, ask me anything, I now have all the information I need to start a small sheep farm. What I learned was this, and this is assuming that the shepherd left the sheep alone without someone else watching them. As you know, sheep display flocking behavior. They band together in large groups for protection, safety, and numbers. It is much harder for a predator to pick out a sheep in a group than it is one who's gone astray. From a young age, sheep are taught to follow the older members of the flock. Sheep are incredibly social animals. In fact, when they're grazing, when they're eating, they always need to have eyes on the other sheep around them. They never want to lose sight of one another. You see the parable of the lost sheep and the story of the lost son and the book of Jonah isn't about the 99 It isn't about a second chance for Jonah. It isn't about the brother left at home. They are safe. The 99 have each other. This is about the one. Because the one is unprotected by their shepherd. The one is vulnerable. The one who is lost. The one who can't find their way back no matter how hard it tries. The one who's becoming anxious because they can't see the flock. This isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about the one. As a church, this is, has been become one of the reasons we do things the way that we do. It's why we never close a service without offering an invitation for someone who was lost to be found. It's why we create services that both churched and unchurched people love to come to. It's why we use language and preach messages that are real, relevant, and authentic because church isn't for us. It's for others. 
Pastor Luke always says that church is one of the, one of the only organizations that exist for its non-members. We exist for those who are not yet here in this room. We are called to love the people God loves, not just the people we like. Here's the last thing I want us to remember as I close today. The message of grace also came to me. We can never forget that. Let's not forget that I was once Nineveh. You were once Nineveh. That was me too. I was lost. I was broken. I was dead in my sin. And God's grace came to me and it saved me and it rescued me. It's sometimes so easy to forget where God saved us from, right? But the moment we forget the extent to which God saved us is the moment we forget how to show extravagant love and grace to others. So my question for us today is this. Where in your world are you thinking like Jonah? Are there certain people you avoid? Ooh. Are, the people, are there people you've given up on? Stopped praying for? Stopped believing for? Is there someone you realize you've stopped having faith for? Is there someone you've written off as a lost cause? Is there a group of people that you've always looked at like, oh, but actually now you know you need to begin praying for? Is there someone you've been holding, withholding grace from that you need to forgive today? Let's be a church who doesn't just say we believe it, but let's really act like we believe that grace is for everyone, that we are called to love those who God loves, not just those who I like, because his grace also came to me. I want to go back to my first point for just a second, and I want to ask every head to be bowed and every eye closed. Because some of you in this room, and when you heard me talking about how grace is for everyone, you stopped there. You didn't hear the rest of the message. Because right now, you feel far from God. You would put yourself in that category of, I'm too bad. What I've done, you don't know my life, Bex. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the mistakes I've made. Surely God couldn't forgive me. I truly believe there are people in this room and you believe that about your life. Well, I'm here to tell you today, God's grace is for you. His forgiveness is for you. It's not too big. It's not too big. You're not too bad. His grace is for you. Because he loves you and he created you with a plan and a purpose and he wants nothing more than to live in relationship with you and walk this journey of life alongside you and He's got plans and he's got purposes for your life and every one of us, not one, the Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. And it also says that the, the punishment, the debt for that is death. But in his mercy and grace, he sent his son Jesus to come and live a sinless life on earth, die a sinner's death, so that you and I could be reconciled to the Father just like that lost son, just like that lost sheep. And I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. I'm going to invite every single one of, one of you to join me in praying this prayer. Every single person in the room can pray it. You can pray it in your heart. I'll pray it out loud. Are you ready? Online, you can join us too. We say, dear Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. Thank you that you paid the debt that I was due. I choose your forgiveness today. I turn from my old way of life and I turn to you now. 
I thank you that you can make me brand new. Thank you for the plans and the purposes that you have for me. In Jesus' name, with every head still bowed and every eye closed, I'd love to see who I prayed for today. And all I'm going to ask you to do, and online you can do this as well, there's a button you could click, it says I raise my hand. On the count of three, I'm going to just ask you to lift your hand. I'm not going to stand you up. This is not a time to embarrass you or anything like that. I just want to know who I prayed for. I want to be able to acknowledge you. Are you ready? Come on, on the count of three, you can just lift your hand nice and high. One, two, three. You can lift your hand right now. Awesome, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, one online. Awesome, down the back. Yes, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? You're saying, Bex, can you count me in? Awesome, thank you. Yeah, I see you up there. You're saying, Bex, count me in on that prayer. Prayed it. Maybe it wasn't the first time you prayed it, but you know you're far from God. You just need to, know, need to get back in relationship with him now. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We praise you. We give you all our thanks and praise. We thank you for every person, every lost one who's come home. We thank you that you love them, that your heart is so for them. Jesus, I thank you for the incredible things that you're going to do in their life. We're so excited for the way that you're going to be working in them. We pray your protection over them right now, and we celebrate as all of heaven celebrates. Come on, church. Would you give our God some praise? Come on, let's give him some praise. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.